I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Age, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With the Irish agricultural sector under pressure to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, I spoke to ag economist Trevor Donlan to discuss the actions Irish farmers need to take and the consequences if they don't. And firstly, Trevor speculates on what the ag sector will look like in the future. The agriculture sector is unique in Ireland in the sense of it being a sector that's very heavily influenced by policies. And what I mean by policies is things like the common agricultural policy, for example, things like what's happening at the moment with respect to Brexit that can have a big impact on the agriculture sector. Uh, Things like environmental policies uh, that have nothing to do, we'll say, with greenhouse gas emissions, say environmental policies associated with nitrates or something like that. Those also can have consequences for the sector. And there are other uh, trade policies, things like the Mercosur Agreement, um, which has been in the news of late as well, which can also have an impact on the ag sector. So it's very hard for us to be certain what agriculture would look like in the future. So one of the things we did was we did a range of different scenarios um, looking at uh, how the ag sector might look like in the future. And we focused that effort mainly on the cattle population because it's the cattle population that generates most of the greenhouse gas emissions uh, in Ireland. So um, broadly speaking, you know, we have a kind of a central baseline um, view of what the sector might look like in the future. And we have a range around that. And the conclusions we came to, which shouldn't surprise people too much, I guess, is that we expect the dairy sector to continue to grow in size. So we expect there to be more dairy cows in the future than there are today. Um, And, you know, on the other side of the cattle population, the Stuckler herd, um, it's very hard to see how we will have increased suckler numbers in the future. Um, the sector is not profitable. Again, that's been in the news a lot of late. Um, so, so some of the scenarios we looked at looked at reductions uh, in, in the suckler herd occurring in the future, not because farmers were being forced to kill animals, but because of the fact that the sector just uh, isn't generating an income for the people involved. So, uh, you know, we're looking in the future probably at a smaller suckler herd than what we have today and a bigger dairy herd than what we have today. And to some extent, those changes will offset each other in terms of the greenhouse gas emissions that will be produced. And I guess just to look at the dairy side of things, um, the, the number of dairy cows is, is growing each year um, since, I suppose, prior to the abolition of milk quota. Do you see a bottoming off in terms of the numbers um, of dairy cows in the country or will it continue to increase year on year, um, you know, for the next 10 or so years? Yeah, I I think my expectation would be that the numbers will continue to increase, but that the rate of increase is likely to slow down. Um, You know, the latest figures coming out from the CSO, for example, show that the the increase um, to, I think, the end of June this year was only 1.6% compared to um the same period in 2018 so that's a significant slowdown in the rate of increase in cow numbers and okay some of it will be to do with the fact that uh 2018 was a bad year weather wise and 2019 is evolving in a way that's maybe not so good from the perspective of uh milk price but the reality is um that 
the the easy phase of dairy expansion is probably over. And when I mean what I mean by the easy phase is the capacity of farmers to intensify dairy production on their existing land base. So, you know, future expansion on dairy farms is going to be increasingly dependent on getting access to um, additional land. And that's not going to be easy in areas where there are lots of dairy farms and uh, even in areas where um, land is available, then, you know, that land may not necessarily be cheap. So it'll be more difficult in the future, uh, I would expect, to expand dairy, but I would expect that expansion to continue because this, this sector is quite profitable. And and if we consider, you've mentioned that cattle are, I suppose, one of the main contributors to greenhouse gas emissions. You know, within agriculture, where are the other sources of greenhouse gases? Well, the, the I mean, the agriculture sector is the is the dominant source. Or sorry, the uh, the cattle population is the dominant source of emissions. Um, you know, apart at all, apart from the methane being produced by cattle, um, you also have as a major emission source the nitrous oxide emissions from the animal's waste and also nitrous oxide emissions from the spreading of nitrogen fertilizers. So they're they're pretty much the main sources of emissions. Um, the sheep population is, is generating emissions as well. And uh, so because they are also ruminant animals, um, but uh, you know, it's not as at all a significant a contributor to emissions as would be um, the cattle population. And then you have a range of other activities in agriculture that are generating emissions as well, but nothing like to the same extent, you know. I mean, the um, the crop sector in Ireland is quite small um, and, you know, it's not producing any emissions from, from uh, animals in that sense, but it is still producing some emissions from the fertilizer it uses, but on a per hectare basis, the emissions from a hectare of um, cropland, you know, are, are going to be modest relative to the emissions, say, from a hectare of dairy farming. And can you quantify total greenhouse gas output from the ag sector? I, I suppose what what's currently happening now and looking then to, say, 2030, um, you know, what what is the target? Like, how much do we need to reduce by? Yeah, I mean, um, the system we have uh, in place is that basically we need to reduce our emissions compared to where we were in 2005. So um, up to up until now, the target has been to reduce emissions by 2020 relative to 2005. And we recently got a new target, which is a reduction target for 2030 compared to 2005. So the first thing you need to take into account is that um, since 2005, quite a few things have happened. Um, Things were going quite well from an emissions perspective for a period because um, in, we were still in the quota period, um, you know, out until 2015. So for several years after 2005, emissions from agriculture were actually continuing to decrease. And that was a good news story from an emissions perspective. But it was all really driven uh, or mainly driven from the fact that um, the milk quota system was in place and you needed fewer cows each year to fill the, the quota that was there. Um, things have begun to turn around since about 2012. Um, you know, farmers were getting clarity that the milk quota was going to be removed uh, in 2015. And we had 
a gradual relaxation of the milk quota in the years leading up to the 2015 when it was finally eliminated. So from about 2011-2012, you can see in the data that the dairy cow herd was beginning to grow again. And uh, it was at that point then as well that greenhouse gas emissions from the sector began to um, to increase. Like the, the low point really in terms of greenhouse gas emissions was 2011. And since that time, emissions have increased by um, over 10%. So uh, our emissions are are on an upward path basically um, since uh, about 2011. And, you know, without taking um, mitigation actions into account, um, it's going to be difficult to see how we will reduce those emissions in the future. In the short term, um, I think it's inevitable that we will see a continuing increase in emissions. And the reason for that is because the sector is growing faster than these mitigation technologies are being deployed. So the emissions per unit of output, as we call it, which is an efficiency measure, that's improving. So we are, um, for example, um, producing a litre of milk and producing less emissions in producing that litre of milk. But the reality is we're also producing more litres of milk. The sector is growing faster than the emissions efficiency is improving. And as long as that is happening, um, our emissions are going to, to continue to, to, to go upwards. So uh, the situation we're facing is we need to really reduce our emissions by um, about 10% compared to where we were in 2005 um, by, by 2030. So that's, that's a significant enough challenge when you consider that we're above the 2005 level at the moment. We're about 4 or 5% above the 2005 level already. So, you know, we, um, we've, we've a serious enough job of work to do to, to get those emissions under control. And the sooner we start doing that, um, the better, um, because it's not just a case of um, having to reach a target in 2030. You know, you will, the sector and the Irish economy in general will be judged every year along that pathway, you know, in terms of whether we're on the right trajectory to get to an emission reduction in 2030. You you mentioned, Trevor, that you've 25 or so strategies um, in terms of mitigating the, the greenhouse gas emissions um, and you've done a cost-benefit analysis on, you know, wh- which are the most beneficial at, at the least cost. You know, can you give us an insight into some of these strategies that will be effective on firms? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, 25 measures sounds like a, a, lo- a lot of measures uh, and it is. Um, and, and one of the difficulties we have in reducing greenhouse gas emissions is that there are very few emission reduction strategies that on their own can deliver a significant amount of emission reductions. So it's it, it really has to be a whole suite of actions working together um, that, that amount up to a significant amount of emission reductions. Some of the actions farmers uh, can potentially take are relatively going to be relatively straightforward and won't be too uh, expensive in some cases they may even save uh, farmers money but some of these things we're looking at farmers doing um from practical point of view would be using less nitrogen-based fertilizers and changing the type of fertilizers they're using um in the coming years to towards fertilizers that emit less emissions when they're spread on the land um, 
Also looking at animal waste, uh, the way in which slurry is spread, um, moving away from the traditional splash plate um, slurry tank uh, or slurry spreader is what we're looking at uh, going forward towards using um, different types of technology called trailing shoe or trailing hose. So they're practical measures farmers could take. There are other um, efficiency type measures that farmers could look at as well and just in terms of improving the fertility of cows, for example, so that they need, uh, say, fewer replacements for uh, a given size of their dairy herd. Um, and general improvements in animal health, earlier finishing of animals for beef. You know, if animals can be brought to a finished slaughter weight at an earlier age, then that means they generate less emissions over the total of their um, of their lives. Um, Forestry is also uh, an area that we need to look at quite closely. There's very substantial benefits to be got from planting land because forestry basically soaks up uh, carbon from the atmosphere, whereas the methane and nitrous oxide that's been produced by agriculture is a greenhouse gas that's that's contributing to the, the problem that's out there. So there's a whole range of things that can be done. There's also bioenergy crops, which may be something that uh, some farmers at least are interested in looking at. So, you know, there's a lot of measures there um, and few enough of them are actually of an individual significant size. They, they, by a long distance, the single biggest one is is forestry. So um, we have very little forestry in this country compared to some other European countries. The, the percentage of land that's in forestry, I think, is still only about 11%. So if we can improve that, significantly over the next 20, 20, 30 years, that will be very useful from the perspective of um, uh, increasing um, farmers' contribution to addressing the whole problem of greenhouse gas emissions in Ireland. And delve into that a little bit, Trevor. In terms of forestry, you're, you're talking about planting land. Like, you know, are you talking about planting whole farms or are you talking about individual farmers, you know, planting a few trees in order to, I suppose, in culmination with other farmers, uh, making a difference? Yeah, I mean, that depends in some ways on, on how policy will evolve in the future, Emma-Louise. I mean, there is, you know, one option that's out there obviously is to plant uh, commercial forestry on significant enough areas of land. And, and so basically you're talking about planting trees that are going to be harvested in the future to make telegraph poles or furniture or, or what have you, or trusses for the building industry for roofs and, and this kind of thing. Um, and that's, uh, that's a controversial issue, as, as you're probably aware. You know, some people in Ireland don't like the idea of planting commercial forestry. They feel that it's, um, you know, not traditional to the landscape of Ireland and what have you. Um, so there is an increasing view that farmers should be looking at maybe planting a mix of different types of trees, including more native tree species as part of whatever afforestation measures they're using. Uh, I guess the, the, the difficulty with planting native trees very often is that they're not really going to be used for timber production afterwards. They may end up when they're harvested being used for firewood. And that's that's not as good from the perspective of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And the other problem you have uh, on the uh, with planting native tree species is that they grow more slowly. So they, they're not helping us to sequester carbon as quickly as would be faster growing trees. 
And there's also options like uh, agroforestry, which has side benefits like um, improving drainage on land. Agroforestry, just for those not aware of it, is basically planting trees in amongst a kind of a pasture-based landscape so that you have, uh, rather than having a single stand of trees, you have trees dispersed through uh, a field. And that can be good for things like drainage and providing shelter for animals from or in shade from the sun and what have you. Um, that type of tree planting then is probably not going to be um, as commercially focused, say, as planting a, a forest in the traditional sense of, of, a, of what we know as a commercial forest. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a number of options there. I guess one of the concerns some farmers have is they feel that when they plant their forest, that's it, uh, or plant their land with forestry, that's it, in the sense that they the land can't really go back into agricultural production in the future. But, you know, there is a significant chunk of land out there in Ireland, which isn't really delivering any kind of return, uh, economic return uh, in, in terms of its current use. So putting land into forestry may actually be a, an attractive option. The difficulty some farmers have, I think, is that it's a long term game. You know, you're planting trees for uh, 20 years, 30 years and more in some cases. So that part of it maybe is unattractive from some farmer's perspective. And another point then that you made, Trevor, um, I, I know now by nature with the dairy podcast, we don't talk much about beef, but you talk about, um, you know, healthier animals um, and finishing earlier. What is the traditional finishing period or, or I suppose age at slaughter um, for beef animals in the country currently? Well, it's been coming down, like, I mean, since the, the time of the BSE crisis, um, there was pressure to push back the, the slaughter age of um, of beef animals. Um, so, you know, we're generally speaking, you're talking about animals, most animals being slaughtered by the time they're two and a half years old, uh, 30 months. Um, you know, there's been recent recent moves in respect of the, the beef uh, protest and dispute uh you know to push that back out um towards 36 months but one of the things we need to keep in mind if we're looking at this issue of greenhouse gases is that will have a negative impact um in the sense that it will lead to higher greenhouse gas emissions because uh, the longer these animals live the more emissions they will tend to generate so um while it might be attractive um from a production point of view for some farmers to and produce animals um, that are over 30 months of age. The the end outcome of that, unfortunately, is going to mean that um, the emissions associated with beef production will actually go up uh, on account of that. So, you know, there's lots of swings and roundabouts here that we need to take into account when we're looking at how production systems evolve in the future. And we need to be keeping an eye all the time on the implications for greenhouse gas emissions of any decisions that we make in terms of how we produce milk or for that matter beef uh, going out into the future. And, and you also mentioned, um, you know, using um, a different type of, of chemical fertiliser and looking at the methods of, of um, the slurry spreading on the farm, uh, looking at the, I suppose, the lower emission slurry spreading methods. And we, we would have covered that in detail with William Birchill earlier this year. So, you know, we, we've gotten some detail on that previously. I, I guess if we just take a step back um, away from Ireland, are other countries been faced with this challenge, Trevor? 
Yeah, well, I mean, one of the really complicated and I guess frustrating things from uh, an Irish perspective is that when you look across the world in terms of how uh, food is produced, um, the emissions intensity, in other words, the amount of uh, emissions required to produce a kilogram of a product, you know, that varies enormously across the world. Um, you know, research that has been done by uh, the European Commission, which is now more than 10 years old or about 10 years old at this stage, the particular piece of research um, indicated that we were in the European Union context anyway, at least, um, you know, best in class from the perspective of the European Union uh, for uh, the milk production in terms of the intensity of our uh, milk production. And we were about fifth in the case of beef in the European Union. So we were up, we were on the right side of the average, I'd put it that way, from an environmental perspective in terms of the emissions generated to produce milk or beef. The thing is, when you go across the, the wider world, you know, when you go into places like Africa, the um, emissions intensity is very different to what it is in Europe. You know, the, um, the production systems are not as anything like as efficient that you would have in developing in developed world agriculture so you get like um, um emissions intensities which are far higher in um the developing world than you do in the developed world which is going to be a problem in the future because um it's in the developing world where we have all the population growth and it's in the developing world where we have income growth that is shifting consumers into consuming more meat and dairy uh dairy products so those Agricultural sectors are going to have to improve their emissions efficiency a hell of a lot in the future um, if they're going to catch up on the emissions efficiency that exists in agriculture in the developed world. I would say even more generally, you know, if we come back to Europe, um, you know, agriculture is not as, as big a chunk of the emissions in other countries in Europe as it is in Ireland, and there probably isn't the same attention given to reducing agricultural emissions in other European countries for that reason. Like we know in Ireland that agriculture is 33% of the total greenhouse gas emissions produced in this country. Whereas if you, you look across the EU, that the average figure is uh, only about 10%. So um, at the moment, agriculture probably isn't in the spotlight as much in other European countries in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but that situation will change in the future. Uh, quite soon, in fact, because emissions will be reduced in other sect of the sectors of the economy in other countries in Europe. And as that happens, the share of the emissions that are still left uh, that are produced by agriculture will be going up. So increasingly, other European countries are going to have to focus on their greenhouse gas emission reductions um, in the same way that Ireland is already doing that. If we look to 2030, Trevor, what are the consequences where we don't reach target? Yeah, well, I think there'll be consequences uh, sooner than 2030 um, in reality, because uh, I think, as I mentioned earlier in the discussion, uh, the world or, or, or the Irish government, at least, is not going to sit around waiting till 2029 to see how each sector is actually performing in terms of the 2030 target. The reality of this new climate action plan that has been launched recently is that there will be um, ongoing assessment of the progress that each sector is making in terms of reducing its uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So from a, from 
a national perspective, uh, we're looking at fines basically in the future for failing to reduce our emissions. But from, you know, when we go look at how the situation is going to be managed within Ireland, I think what will happen is if sectors are failing to uh, deliver on their emission reductions, then the government is going to go back and reassess um, how this process is working. So, you know, you could be looking uh, down the line at, you know, regulations being put in place to make sure that emissions can't be above a specific level. You know, that's the that's a difficulty, I guess, that the ag sector faces. If, if we at, we're, in, we're at a moment in time where the agriculture sector can try to grapple with this issue itself without having too much direction given towards it and how it actually reduces those emissions. But, you know, if we're in a situation three, four, five years time where our emissions are still on an upward trajectory, then I think the whole ag sector is going to be uh, in difficulty and probably increasingly in conflict with the rest of Irish society, because if agricultural emissions aren't uh, brought under control, then it will mean that other sectors of the economy are going to have to carry the can to a greater extent. And people won't be very happy about that because, you know, you'll have situations where, say, for example, um, there'll be more pressure, even more pressure to reduce emissions from the transport sector, which could involve quite substantial taxes on fuel, which, you know, wouldn't go down very well with um, the general population, especially if they discover that the reason this is happening is because agricultural emissions haven't actually been brought under control. So uh, I think we'll find out a lot sooner than 2030 what the consequences for agriculture will be if we don't work our way towards a solution. But I guess to be on a positive, to be positive, to kind of conclude on that topic, there may be opportunities in the next common agricultural policy that would mean that supports provided to farmers could actually help them in terms of uh, introducing measures on their farm to address that greenhouse gas emission problem. Trevor, I think we've got a really, really good picture of, um, you know, why the conversation has become so big in the country. You know, you mentioned 33 percent of the total um, output from the country is coming from ag. And look, from a dairy perspective, you've given us some key points in terms of what we can do a little bit better, looking at the fertilizer strategy. And, you know, it's the time of year where we're preparing for 2020. So we can look at the products we're using and the methods. And also, I suppose, looking at the cow and, you know, looking at a more fertile cow you know in terms of EBI and um, you know relying on less replacements on farm thanks a million for the update Trevor no problem Emma Louise and that's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Trevor Donlan for joining me on this week's show don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast you can listen on Apple and Google podcasts as well as Spotify and for more information go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.